Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. What's up, Elevate Erie? My name is Ben. Some of us have met before. I think it was three or four years ago I came out to speak. It might have actually been longer. It's amazing how time flies uh, since I've been lead pastor at Cedar Creek. But Colby and I go way back and uh, all the way back to high school days at a summer camp where we spent a little bit of time together. And I remember his involvement here in Northwest Ohio. We've loved celebrating and cheering for you as uh, God continues to do amazing things in your church. And earlier, Colby reached out and asked if I would share a message, pick one that I think has been meaningful for our church. And so I did. It's from a series in January. And what's interesting is it's gonna provide some perspective on where we've been since January. But I think the message that, it, uh, that we uh, kind of walk through during the Struggle is Real series applies to where we're at just as much today as it did early on in January. Another thing that you're going to notice is that there's people in the background. You're going to hear some laughter, and so I hope you laugh right along with us. My hope is that this helps give you some spiritual vision for what God may be doing in your life, what may, God may want to do in your community and through your church. And so I hope this encourages you, and I can't wait till I can come out and see you in person. Enjoy. When it comes to the struggles that we have, we all have brought them in with us today. Every one of us. And some of you, your struggle doesn't seem big. You know, it's like, oh, not really a big deal. You wouldn't actually classify it as a struggle. Maybe your life is going relatively well. And maybe there's a part of some of you that want to keep it on the more positive side of things. What you may not realize is you probably have people around you who have a struggle that's so big, it took every ounce of energy for you to come today. And maybe even as I'm talking right now, there's a part of you that is just feeling the weight, the feelings, the, the, the grip of whatever it is in your life. And here's what's interesting. For every single one of us, even though the details of our struggle is different, the principles of every struggle that we all face are the same. We all share this tension in common. We talked about this last week. There's this tension in the struggle where we want what we do not have, or we're experiencing tension around having what we do not want, or we're not wanting to do what we have to do. Every single struggle, big or small, comes down to one of these three things in our life. And what complicates the struggle is not just that we have them, it's that you experience them in multiple dimensions. Now, I'm not talking about space-time travel. I'm talking about the reality that you are a multi-dimensional being. There are different dimensions to you. One of the primary dimensions where we experience struggle and we talk about it is our physical dimension. I'm talking about our physical body. I'm talking about your physical health. I'm talking about the stuff, the physical stuff in life. Think about the majority of the conversations, the tweets, the posts that you have about life. I mean, a lot of them are in this world. Oh, my car's broke down. My back hurts. Pulled my back out. Got a muscle. I can't feel. You know, all of these things typically revolve around the physical world. We want things we don't have physically. We have things we don't want. Come on, you know that's real, right? And so therefore, we're not wanting to do what we have to do. The struggle is real. And we talk about it. But that's not all. That's not the only dimension we experience struggle. We also experience it mentally. We have a mental dimension to us. This is why, if we're not careful, we'll fall into this. 
This is why even if all of your physical needs were met and your physical world was going the way that you want, the struggle wouldn't go away. We would like to think that it would. If I could have the house, the job, the bank account, the physical body, all of that. It may change some things, but I can't tell you the number of people that I've talked to that their physical world is better than ever, but the struggle is still real. Why? Because the mental dimension of you is that thinking, feeling part of you. It's the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala. It's the right and left hemisphere. It's the creative part of you. It's also the problem-solving part of you. Or maybe the, I can't seem to solve this problem part of you, right? And so there's a mental dimension, and the, probably the most neglected dimension to all of us is the spiritual dimension. We don't know what to do with this. We, uh, sometimes we talk about it, but really the spiritual dimension is the part that we put off. It's the, it's the last part of who, who, you know what I mean? It's like, when I get this right, then I'll start thinking about that. Or when it's only when this is crazy that we begin to try to figure things out spiritually. So, so every year, right? Wherever you're at, whatever struggle, you're experiencing these tensions in multiple dimensions. In other words, we want what we don't have. We have what we don't want. We're not wanting to do what we have to do. And it's almost like these dimensions, the mental side of us, is now struggling with the physical side of us. So there's this internal struggle. So new year, new me rolls around, and we think if we could just get the right plan, if I could get the right atomic habits, if I could do the right things, the struggle will go away only to find out that it increases. Like these plans, as, as beneficial as some of them are, they're good, but it doesn't take the struggle away. It just puts a magnifying glass on it. And so what we talked about last week is this. What we need is spiritual vision. We need spiritual vision to give the clarity and strength to the next steps that we need to take. It's spiritual vision that doesn't just provide clarity. It provides spiritual strength to take the next step. A strength that's different than mental or physical. See, like, there's a lot of conversation out there around self-help practices. And honestly, I like a lot of that stuff. I use a lot of the, the, the best step practices that are offered in culture today. I think they're beneficial. The majority of them that are beneficial are rooted in biblical principles. They're, they're in the category of wisdom. But the truth is, if all you do is try to help yourself, you're missing out on what God wants to do. We think that if we can change our physical life, change our mental life, engage in self-help practices that'll do that, it'll change all of us. And what God invites you into is to experience His Spirit, and He wants to change you from the inside out. Why? Because He knows that you can't change yourself from the outside in. And so He invites us to go on a journey. And here's, here's why this is so difficult. I mean, this is even some of you right now, you're like, well, I can't, hey, spiritually, seriously? <laughs> Come on, man. It's like, I, I can't see it. You can't feel it. It's, so it gets confusing. It becomes elusive. Here's part of the reason why it's so elusive. It's because you can't see what you need to see until something gives you vision for it. You, you can't see it until something gives you vision for it. Think about it practically, like for your physical body. You can't see what you need to see if your eyes, your optic nerves, don't give you physical vision for it. You need something to help you physically see the world around you. You're dependent upon that. 
You can still try to live, and for the most part, you can live without physical vision, but you're limited physically. Same thing is true mentally. What do you need? You need knowledge, and you need experiences. You need to be taught. You need to be, you know, you need to be equipped in order to think creatively, in order to navigate the emotions, in order to deal with all of them, in order to have the, the, the experiences, in order to grow and problem solving and all of those things. That's partly why we go to school. It gives us what? Mental vision. It's partly why we look for self-help. You also need help spiritually. You need something, someone to give you spiritual vision. And until you have that, this just seems elusive. It's like, oh, I don't really need it. We put it off. We forget about it. When the truth is, this is the eternal part of who you are, the most important part of your being. After you leave your physical body behind, your spirit will continue to live. This is why it's so important to God. Let me give you some practical examples of how this principle is true. Think about growing up. You're at the park. You're in the woods, whatever. How many of you have had a bad experience with poison ivy, right? Poison ivy, anybody? Yeah, a few of you. It's like, oh yeah, now? <laughs> I mean, somebody ha- didn't give you vision for it and you went through the woods and suddenly poison ivy gave you vision for it. And it's like, okay, now you know what to look for. I'll give you another practical example. Uh, how many of you remember Magic Eye? Do you remember Magic Eye? Yeah, okay, a few people over 40 in the room. That's right, because that's pretty much who. I'm, fo- I'm going to be 40 this year, so I'm in that group now. Woohoo! So Magic Eye was like this weird art that would show up on the page, look like a bad drug trip, you know, and so in here, here, here's what happened. Can you see it? Yeah, can anybody see it? Anybody see it? Yeah, you probably can't. I think it's a sailboat or something. I don't know. Just make it up, right? That's what it felt like, because you would hold the book up in front of you, and people would be like, Look at it cross-eyed and stare at it. Why? They were trying to give you vision for it. And then for, for me, at least for a few of these, you'd look at it and all of a sudden this three-dimensional object would come out and you know, it's like, wow, I couldn't see it until now. And then some of my friends, they never saw it. Let me give you another practical example. Parenting. What is parenting? Parenting ultimately is learning how to give not just physical vision, but mental and I believe spiritual vision too. But think about parenting. It's like you're, you're trying to help your kids get the knowledge and experiences, navigate the experiences that they have in life. And I know, man, when it comes to parenting, that struggle is real, okay? You know, I've got four kids. Some of you are like, you're crazy. You know how that works, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm not willing to give it up. So I'm not having any more kids either, though. We got that all taken care of, so... Well, you know what? I shouldn't say that. Because I've had a few friends that have gone through that little thingy and still showed up with kids. Okay, so God, no funny jokes here. (laughs) When it comes to birthdays in our family, we let our kids. We had one of these experiences that I want to share with you. You know, it's kind of personal. So, uh, but we, we, we had... When it comes to birthdays, we let our kids design birthday cards, you know, for each other, drawings, whatever it is, put a cute statement on there. And a couple years ago, it was Sam's birthday, my second, uh, my second child, oldest son. And so Lydia did this cute card. She, she says, we love our Sam so much that it will not fit here. You know, happy birthday. And so we're like, oh, that's cute. We're like, Sam, why don't you read it to the rest of the family? So he opens up the card and on the inside, it's brother, a person whom you're related to, sometimes a role model, sometimes an ass. And he keeps reading, and Lauren and I are like, like, what do we do, you know? We pull Lydia aside afterwards. We're like, so, where did you get this card? She's like, oh, I copied it from Pinterest. 
like, yeah, but this is a bad word. She kind of looks at me funny. She's like, really? I read it in the Bible. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I guess it, it, it is mentioned in the King James Version a couple of times. So we're like, okay, so here's the thing. You don't call people that, okay? <laughs> like, I, okay, I can understand why you might want to call your brother that. I get it, you know. But still, you know, it's like this, is, this isn't a good word. She didn't have vision for it. And the reason this is so powerful, the reason you need someone, once someone gives you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Vision is so powerful. So it's like a year later, our family, I wasn't home for this, but I think the kids are sitting around the table and having conversation. And my two youngest, my youngest child, Mary, daughter, and my you know, second youngest, Noah, are having the mine is better conversation. If you've ever been a part of this, it's wonderful, okay? <laughs> my outfit's better than your outfit. Nuh-uh, my outfit's better than yours. This guy, unicorn on it. Nuh-uh, my toys are better than your toys. No, my room's better than your room. Uh-uh, mine's better. And they go back and forth. You know, it's like, this is ridiculous. Well, eventually, it gets to the point where Noah's like, my room's better than your room. And Mary's like, uh-uh, my room's better than yours. And Noah then follows that up with this line. I wouldn't let you sleep in my room if you were growing on my you can fill in the blank, okay? Yeah, same word. And so I wasn't home for this. I'm sure Lydia was like, oh, okay, I see that. I'm like, what? You, some of you are wondering what's going on in the Snyder household. Like, <laughs> what kind of language do you use at home? And I'm like, where did he pick this up? I was talking to Lauren about it, and all of a sudden, like, I'm like, I've heard that before. Some of you know where it's at. It was in this scene. Say it out loud if you know it. Home Alone, yeah. We watched it one time. It was like a couple of months before. And I remember in the movie, the scene where this goes down, and he says this, and I'm like, just play it cool, ignore it, they'll forget all about it. <laughs> he didn't forget about it, you know? <laughs> and that's, and Noah, Noah nailed this line. It, like, inflection, pause, everything with her. I wish we had it on video, you know? It's like, and what's amazing, I remember watching it, Lydia noticed it, but nobody else did. They didn't have vision for it. But when you have vision for it, once you see it, not only you can't unsee it, you see it everywhere. That's why when you buy a new car, you see it everywhere. You get a Jeep. Jeeps are everywhere. It's like unbelievable because once you have vision for it, it's amazing. And so last summer, I wanted to introduce my kids to some, my boys to the Marvel movies. And I'm like, this will be fun, you know, We'll kind of navigate if there's some weird parts, whatever, but this will be a fun conversation point. Like every young man should watch these Captain America and some of these guys, figure it out. And so uh, Lydia wanted in on it, which meant Mary, our three-year-old, was going to probably end up watching the movie. And I know some of you are getting a little judgy, like why are you letting a three-year-old watch a PG-13 movie or PG, whatever it is. You're right, okay? When Mary was young, or when Lydia was young, it was a lot easier. But with, you try to have four kids and figure out movie time, Okay. I'm just trying to keep the kids alive at this point. I'm doing, they got potty mouths and everything. It's unbelievable. And there's this scene in the movie. The Avengers and, you know, consultant, they're meeting themselves for the first time and they're talking and they're arguing and then they're, they're like, they're jabbing each other and all of this stuff. And at one point, Nick Fury looks at the group and, or one, somebody says, don't be a stupid. Yeah, same word, right? And all the kids look at me, all of them. They're like, you know, like, oh my, did he just say that? Mary's like, Dad, he said a bad word. I'm like, we're getting ahead of the curve here. <laughs> she looks at me, he said stupid. <laughs> You're right, Mary, it's a bad word. It's a bad word. We should never, should never call your siblings stupid. 
because what's interesting is once you see it, you can't unsee it. And you see it everywhere. But she couldn't see it. And if you can't see it, you miss it. Spiritual vision is so important. It says it this way in the Proverbs. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. If you don't have spiritual vision, if you're not paying attention to what God is doing in your life, I don't care what self-help books you read and what strategies you bring your life, it'll be kind of helpful and I'm good with that. I'm not against it. But you will end up stumbling all over yourself. It won't actually help you through the struggles in a spiritual and supernatural sense. It'll just increase the struggle. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the struggle side of this next week. If you can't see what God is doing, some of you are, this is your life. It's like you're here. It feels like everything you do, you're stumbling all over yourself. But look at what he says. But when you attend, when we attend to what he reveals, that's when you are the most blessed. That's when you experience the joy and the happiness that you hear about in the songs that we sing and some of the passages that we look. Like, this is what God intended. This is the result of spiritual vision. So how do we get there? How do we experience it? It's right here in the passage. You attend to what he reveals. You keep, you follow what he reveals. I put it as the bottom line for this week's talk. If you want to increase the spiritual vision, if you're taking notes, write this down. You obey God and trust him with the consequences. You obey him and you trust him with the consequences. Instead of trying to control the consequences, you say, you know what, I'm not God, you are. I need spiritual vision. I need to trust that you can do what I cannot. And so I'm going to obey you and trust you with whatever outcome. I first heard this from Pastor Charles Stanley. It's one of his life principles. He's a pastor for many years out of Atlanta. Some of you are familiar with him. His son, Andy Stanley, is a mentor of mine as well. He says, obey God and leave the consequences to him. And the reason I put the word trust in there is because I believe our life and our spiritual journey can come down to two paths. One where you're trying, one where you're trying to impress God, one when you're trying to do it on your own, one where you're trying to make your life better, one where it's you doing the work, or the other path that God has always invited us down is to trust. It's a path of faith. And that, that does not mean hands off, not thinking, not engaging. It means I am moving from a place of trusting, trusting what God is doing from the inside out instead of trying to do it with my own strength, my own power, my own religious efforts to change my life, to deal with the struggle. This is what God invites us into is to trust him, to obey him in the way of life that he invites us into and trust the outcome to him. Jesus taught this. Look at what he said. He says, if you love me, obey me. Love and obedience go hand in hand. And and what's interesting to me is love is something that happens on the inside and you begin to see it and experience it as it works its way out through your thoughts and your actions, not the other way around. In other words, if you love him, if you say you follow God, you're going to, a natural byproduct is that you're going to obey him. You're going to follow what he says. If you're struggling to obey what he says, this is really helpful for me, and hopefully it's helpful for you. If you're struggling to obey what he says, it means you love something else more. And it's the something else that you love that's putting you in conflict with obeying with what he says, whatever that thing is. 
But if you love him, Jesus says, oh, you'll obey my commandments. You'll, you'll obey God and trust him with the consequences. And look at what he says he will do. And if you do this, as you love and obey, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. A helper who will never leave you. A spiritual guide. This is a capital A. It's deified. It means he's referring, as you see later, you can read the passage on your own. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, for those who have placed their faith in Christ, will never leave you. This is, I can't, you got to receive this, right? It's like, it's not that the Spirit comes and goes whenever He wants. He doesn't come and go when you're doing it right and you have it all together. No, God's Spirit lives inside of everyone who's placed their faith in Christ. It's not much how much of the Spirit do you have. You have all of the Spirit that you're ever going to get. The reality is, is how much of you are you allowing Him to have? How much of your life are you surrendering control over to Him? And obeying him and trusting him with the consequences. Because that's what, that's what Jesus came to give. It's to change us from the inside out. Look at what the Spirit does. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. He will teach you everything that you need to know and will remind you of everything that Jesus, that I have told you. That's, he's he's going to remind you of all of Jesus' teachings. God's Spirit changes us from the inside out. He begins to deliver the truth about who you are spiritually. That when you place your faith in Christ, you are forgiven. You're new. You're no longer a sinner. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of the living God. You are an eternal being. You will be with him forever in heaven. So that means you don't have to be physically afraid of death anymore. And that doesn't mean you have to look forward to it. But you can know that when your life here is over, you will then be physically free from sin and mentally free from sin. So in the meantime, let's let God's spirit lead all of us to, to all truth. Let's move our feelings towards the truth and our strategies and our physical plans towards the truth. Let's let what he said is already true about you spiritually, what he's taught us here, begin to bleed out into every area of our life. I promise you, as you're going to see next week, it's going to change the way that we look at and we navigate the struggles in our life. But first, it's so important that you get spiritual vision. Why? Because once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you see it, you'll begin to see it everywhere. But if you can't see it, you'll miss it. And we need God's Spirit to help us do that. It's a first century pastor that helped teach or unpack practically what this begins to look like in our life. He's writing a church, or letter, I'm sorry, writing to a church in Rome, a group of Christians. And he says, I plead with you, to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, I know for some of you, there's a lot of confusing language here. Like, if you don't have a lot of experience in church or with the Bible, it's like, okay, I don't really understand what he's saying. And so the first thing that I want you to see is he talks about worship. Worship is not the hour or so long service that you go to on Sunday. Contrary to popular belief, worship is not the songs that you sing or whether you like the songs that we sing here at church or not. I mean, we, we call it worship, but worship, that's just a small sliver of what worship is. Worship is this. It's when you give, give your bodies to God 
as a sacrifice. Think about this. It's when you give your body to God. It's when you give your whole being or you surrender control of your thoughts, your life, your spirit over to him. In other words, it's when you obey God and you trust him with the consequences. Instead of trying to control the outcomes on my own, instead of trying to do it on my own strength, instead of trying my best, I'm instead going to give all of my effort to listening to what he reveals and attend to that because that's how I will be, you will be the most blessed. How do we do that? He goes on, next verse, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God do the transforming. Let God transform you into a new person. He wants to change you spiritually. He did that with Jesus at the cross. He wants to change you mentally so that you're no longer defined by all of the thoughts, feelings, and emotions that you have or that you struggle with on your own. And he's going to ultimately change us all physically when we breathe our last here on earth. He's literally engaging the process of salvation in every dimension of your being. And so, He's saying, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. He's not saying ignore them all. He's not saying fight against them. He's not saying trash them. Because why? Some of them are beneficial. But self-help can't transform you into a new person. It can change elements of who you are. We talk about that. But it's God who wants to transform you into a new person. That word transform is where we get the word metamorphosis, where the caterpillar becomes the butterfly. It gives an image of this inside out transformation where something unlikely happens through the result. This is what God wants to do in you, through you from the inside out. And where does he begin? He transforms you into a new person by changing the way you think. He changes the way that you think about your life, beginning with the spiritual vision. And when you get spiritual vision, it gives clarity and strength to what you need to do mentally and physically in your life. Far too many people look at following Jesus as a physical list of rules and a mental list of exercises that we have to go to go through in order to try to change something on the inside. And the reality is, no, it's learning how to live from what Jesus has already done and what God's Spirit is going to do on the inside out. Inside out. And so, yes, it means I have to take a step of trust mentally, to not let this thought rule, to not engage in this behavior because it's not ultimately who God created me to be. When you do this, look at what happens. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. When you let God transform you and let him change the way that you think, you will begin to see what God is doing instead of stumbling all over yourself. You'll be able to attend to what he reveals and you'll be most blessed. You will know the good, pleasing, and perfect will that he has for you. And Where does this begin? What do I want you to know? I want you to obey God and trust him with the consequences. You want to increase your spiritual vision? Obey God and trust the consequences to him. Where we begin to experience that, it starts to feel a bit like an adventure, right? An adventure, we, we, it's like, yeah, I want to go on an adventure. It sounds fun. But the truth is adventures are risky, and they take you places that you don't expect. And sometimes it's challenging and strenuous and hard. It, it, it may cause some internal conflict. 
But this is the life-changing adventure that God has for all of you as you know him. Knowing him isn't about knowing about him. It's just, it's surrendering your life over to him. It's knowing him personally. And that means you're going to find areas where you're struggling, where you need to find freedom. You're going to find or he's going to reveal areas of your life that you love more than him. And he's just going to ask some questions. Is that thing, is that person, is that strategy, is that job, is that dollar amount going to provide what I can? Is that the God of your life? Because those are things that we need to find freedom from. And what you're going to find out is you have a purpose. You're not an accident. The day that you showed up, it's not like, how did that one get through? You know, God, God isn't looking at you. No, he is looking at you going, he wants you here on purpose. And ultimately, that's to make a difference. Let me say it this way. You'll never be spiritually satisfied here. You'll never be spiritually satisfied in finding freedom. You'll never be spiritually satisfied just discovering your purpose. You won't be spiritually fulfilled. You won't know the good, pleasing, perfect will. You won't feel most blessed until you start using your life to make a difference. Because that's why God created you. And it begins. Not as you get your life in order and try to figure it all out. It begins as you obey him and trust him with the consequences. I want to give you a little taste of what this is like. Tori, who dedicated her two daughters right here today during this service at the Perrysburg campus. You saw a snapshot of her story at Christmas. We invited her to sit down, and I want you to listen to the ways that she has tried to save herself and ultimately how God is using this church to play a role in her spiritual journey. Let's watch. It was really hard for me growing up. My mom was in prison most of my childhood and I never had a relationship with her. Um, my dad raised us, but that was also hard because he was physically and sexually abusive and we never got any kind of love and affection in my house. And so I ended up um, moving into a, basically a long-term hotel and I got a job and that's how I paid for all my expenses and living there. Um, my mom ended up getting released from prison when I was 19. I met with her for the first time in years and I never really knew who she was but she offered me to come stay with her because so I wouldn't have to pay all the money that I was paying at the hotel so the place my mom lived was an apartment for ex-offenders basically and um, my husband lived next door my now husband lived next door to her after I moved in with my mom I you know I thought our relationship was going okay but I noticed that she was started using again so my mom, like her addiction got a lot worse. And once my now husband started coming around, I realized he in the past also had a drug addiction. So they would use, and that ultimately led to me using for the first time. Um, so I started using drugs and I didn't feel like it was really a problem. And it was more like uh, social use. And then about three months later, I found out I was pregnant and I completely quit everything. I even was smoking. I quit smoking cigarettes and all that. Um, so I had my daughter and um, after a while me and my husband got married and I just I, everything was like looked okay. Like I felt like everything was going well and then I started using again. I don't, I don't even know the reason but we started using again and it got more severe types of drugs. Um, so when my daughter was three months old, 
Children's Services got involved and they took her from me. At first, I kept using drugs. That Them taking her made my drug addiction worse. Um, but then I kind of pulled it together and did what I needed to do to get her back. I got housing and I stayed clean for six months and they gave her back to me. Eventually my husband ended up going to prison and my life kind of spiraled after that. I, my drug use became worse. Um, I ended up losing my housing and I also ended up pregnant by someone else. All of that stuff happened in Dayton, and Dayton at that time was very toxic and had a lot of triggers for me. So because my husband got transferred to a prison in Toledo, I decided to move there. After I got my place, the next year, I kind of just focused on getting familiar with the new city I was in. Um, I had my daughter. I was still working through my recovery and making sure I stayed sober, working. Um, kind of just getting used to my new life, taking care of kids on my own. In June of the following year, I had a conversation with my husband, and he told me that he was doing um, Celebrate Recovery in prison. He had told me about a man named John, who he was doing the program with, and that, that I could do it out here at church. So I took it upon myself, and the next week I went to Celebrate Recovery for the first time on Friday night. I felt really comfortable, and in the past, I never would go to NA or AA. Even though I had clean time, I did it solely on my own. So I recovery, they say, if you don't have a church home, we invite you to come to Cedar Creek. And I'm like, well, if I'm coming here on Friday, I might as well go to church here. Yep, I just started coming here the next Sunday, and I'm not a church person at all. Um, I was really hesitant, and I just thought these people were gonna judge me. I don't, I'm not gonna fit in, and it was the total opposite. Um, I felt very welcomed, everyone was very nice. My life has changed because I've continued in my recovery still. I've also gotten rid of a lot of depression and anxiety that I had and kind of like a hopeless feeling that even though um, I had a home now and everything, I didn't have um, support or people that I could like count on. And so I've gotten that. It's probably the number one thing that I've got is people that I can, that support me and are there for me and are like family. I'm so thankful for Cedar Creek. And in fact, both of my daughters are getting dedicated this weekend at church. And I'm just so thankful that we have a place to call home. Tori, I, I know you're here. It's a privilege to be a part of the church that God is using to change you, to change your family, to change Don, who's watching right now at Toledo Correctional as well. I don't know about you, but doesn't that feel good to be a part of something that no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've experienced, God is using to help change and redeem stories of hurts and brokenness and complication. And you know what? The story, her story isn't done. There's still going to be struggle, just like all of us. She's just taking her first steps, but you know what she's doing? She's committed to leading a group, to helping family members who have friends or loved ones behind bars 
to create a safe place for them to take off the mask. She's seeing that she's not an accident, a whoops, or a mistake. She matters to God. She's beginning to see her purpose and find freedom. It, it, it amazes me that her experience with Jesus is here. Not the building and the walls, but through you and through what God is doing through so many of you. The same way that for many of you, your experience with Jesus is here. So man, what, what an awesome opportunity thing to be a part of here at Cedar Creek. So man, obey God and trust him with the consequences. Here's what I want you to do. Your next step is I want you to get off your, <laughs> your asterisk, okay? If you're concerned, don't be concerned. I'm not implying a bad word. I'm not thinking stupid there, okay? No, your asterisk is the footnote, the excuse, or the exception that you give God. I'll get to it when. You know what? When money is a little, when this is, when the kids are, whatever. Whatever excuse you give. And we all have them. Today's the day where you can obey him. Just take that next step and trust him with the consequences. Trust him with the outcome. Let him do his work in your life. Surrender. That means you're going to have to surrender control and begin to trust him with wherever he wants to take you next. And you know, I know there are many of you, you're in different stages of your spiritual journey, but we're all taking the same spiritual journey. And for some of you, that just, you're, you're, it's like, I, all of this seems so big and overwhelming. Just keep attending. Stay curious about who God is. If you haven't crossed the line of faith, keep asking questions. Investigate joining a group where you can ask all the questions that you want. There, we have groups that would love to help answer some of the questions that you have. For others of you, maybe today is the day where you just surrender control of your life over to him. You take that first step that you've maybe heard us talk about before, where instead of trying to get your life right, you invite God to begin to do the work for you because of what Jesus has done on the cross and because he came back from the dead. For those of you that have committed your life to Christ, maybe it's time to get baptized, the beginning of February. Just take that next step if you're new. And if you're not new, if you've been around but you're not connected, maybe it's time to join a group. Attend growth track. Stop giving God the asterisk. Get off your asterisk and instead say, God, I'm going to obey you and trust you with the consequences. Because this is the most important thing in my life. And you know what? Some of you, you need to get help. It's like there's stuff that you're struggling with that you're not talking about. You're not talking about it at your group. Your, your group needs to get real and begin to take off the mask. Get more connected with each other. And you know, there are some of you, you're connected. But where you're at, the next asterisk for you is you need to start contributing. Because you've been around a while, right? You've been in a group. Maybe it's time for you to start leading instead of just consuming. For some of you, that step is for you to financially give. Start contributing to the mission on a regular basis. Do it God's way. Give based on a percentage of what he has already given you. Do you know what I found? Is when people take that financial step of tithing 10%, that's a, I know for some of you it's a big number. Like when you take that step to give financially, you get spiritual vision unlike any other practice. So this isn't Ben telling you this on behalf of an organization in need. No, this is Ben, your friend, your pastor, who wants deeply for you to experience the life that God has for all of us. I want you to have spiritual vision. So maybe that's a step that you need to start taking now. 
I imagine there are a few of you, you've contributed, you've been connected, (laughs) you know God, but you're feeling a little bored. You're listening to maybe the messages and you have concerns. Doesn't seem to be delivering what you wish would be delivered. And I've heard this story before. It typically goes one of two ways. Either you get a little more concerned and that concern turns into criticism and pretty soon you need to find a group that looks and talks and sounds just like you do now. Or you'll remember what it was like when you first came to church. And you'll remember the questions and the concerns and the fears that you had. You'll remember what it was like when Jesus first became more than just a name to you and all of the things that go to that. And instead of finding people that look and talk like, you'll engage with the mission to introduce people to Jesus and the life-changing adventure with him. You'll go out and begin to look for the Tories in your life and you'll make a commitment to have at least two weekends a year where somebody who's never been in church is sitting beside you. And I promise you, you do that and everything that you experience, every song that you're critical about, every word that some of the words that we, you're gonna see from a completely different vantage point and it's gonna make God come alive in a fresh way the mission that we're here. Why? Because there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents than over 99 who never strayed away. This is what excites the heart of God. So I don't know what step that you need to take today, but it begins by remembering to obey God and trust him with the consequences. So I want to create a moment as our band comes out on the stage for you to just reflectively think through what is that thing? What is the step that you need to take to get off of your asterisk today? If you just kind of close your eyes or bow your heads, have a reflective moment. I want you to think, what is it that you've been holding on to? What is it that you've had a tight grip on? And tell God. What is it today that you're going to say, God, today I'm going to obey you and I I need to ultimately trust you with the consequences. And if you've never surrendered your life to him and that's the step that you need to take, if you need to take your first step of faith in the quietness of your heart, right where you sit, just tell God, God, today I want to take my first step. I want to trust you. I want to entrust my life to you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you that he came back from the dead, giving me hope that I can become new from the inside out. So instead of trying to resolve my life, I want to surrender control to you from this day forward. Thank you for loving me. I can't wait to see where you want to take me next. You can pray that in Jesus' name. God, for all of us, help us to allow the words of this song to be the prayer of our heart. Help us to open our hands on our life in the way that we think it should go and instead surrender control to you so that you give us more spiritual vision. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.